First Corinthians chapter five. Kind of a sad chapter. Not an awful lot of bright spots in this chapter. It deals with the subject of sin in the camp, sin in the assembly, and the need to purge it out, the need for church discipline. Uh, But there is a bright spot, and we're going to look at that uh, this morning in verses 6 through 8. So let's look, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, even as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these moments that we have to come apart from the world, to gather together and open up the word of God. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would teach us and instruct us and apply these truths to each one of our lives. And Lord, apply it to us as a a body, as the local assembly as well. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. We read in Exodus chapter 13 about the Feast of Passover. And without going back there, just for the sake of time, just to remind us what the Feast of Passover was, this was a holy day in Israel's history, and it was instituted in the day when God chose to lead them out of bondage in slavery in Egypt. And on that first, that original Passover day, they were commanded to take, every family, every household was commanded to take a lamb without blemish. And that lamb without blemish was to be slain. And that lamb without blemish, who, who was, which was slain, the blood of which was to be taken and sprinkled upon the doorposts of the house. So that when the angel of death flew over, the firstborn in that Jewish household would not be slain. And hence, when the angel of death saw the blood, the angel would pass over. And hence the, the, the holy day in Judaism, Passover. And then immediately connected with that, uh, in fact, they were commanded to keep their shoes on and they were commanded to keep the staff in their hand. In other words, they had to be ready to leave at a moment's notice when that original Passover uh, took place. And they were going to be led out of slavery and bondage uh, in Egypt and into the promised land. And so this Jewish feast of Passover was, is, uh, commemorates that event in the book of Exodus. And it was a feast that was to be commemorated, as we saw in Exodus 13, every year. So once every year, the Jews would uh, provide for their family a Passover lamb, slay it, and feast upon it. But also, associated with the feast of Passover was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Feast of Passover was held on one day, and the next seven days constituted the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during that time period, uh, they were able to feast, but only 
on unleavened bread. And so as soon as the Passover lamb was slain, every Jew knew, in fact, it's kind of tradition in their homes today, in a Jewish home, uh, they scour and cleanse their whole house and remove every trace of leaven. In fact, in Jewish households today, as part of their tradition, the day before they sprinkle leaven around their floors and then sort of ceremonially sweep it up and remove it. But these two feasts were to be held together, the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it is this Jewish feast that Paul had in mind when he wrote to the Corinthian believers and commanded them to deal with sin in the assembly. So let's look uh, once again in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? And here Paul speaks about the danger of, uh, of allowing sin in the camp. And he likens sin in the camp to leaven in a loaf of bread. And it has a dangerous effect. This is sort of a, a proverb. And Paul uses it not only here, but he uses it in Galatians in a different context, in a different setting, similar but different, where he repeats this Jewish proverb again, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And it's very much like an American proverb, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. So Paul states here in verse 6 that even a little bit of leaven, if it isn't removed, can have far-reaching effects. It can corrupt or it can leaven the whole lump. And so in this proverb, this leaven represents evil. And the bunch, or the lump, if you will, represents the church. Later on in, in chapter 10 of this same book, Paul refers to the church as one lump, one loaf of bread. Here he refers to the body of Christ as this lump of bread dough, unleavened. Now let's go and look at, uh, in the book of Galatians chapter 5, and here we want to see another usage of this same proverb, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 9. Here Paul says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That's the same thing he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Only here, the leaven does not refer to, remember in chapter 5, he was talking about a specific incident. There was the sin of incest in that church and it needed to be purged out. But in Galatians, Paul uses the same proverb to deal with another issue. And here the issue was legalism. Here the issue was uh, the Judaizers had brought into the churches throughout Galatia this corrupting influence by putting believers back under the Jewish law. And Paul attacked that false doctrine. And so in this particular context, the leaven refers to legalism or the teachings of the Judaizers or false doctrine in general. But in 1 Corinthians, this concept of leaven deals with sin. It always deals with, it always speaks of evil in one form or another, whether it's sin or whether it's false doctrine. And leaven was chosen to illustrate evil because 
it ferments. Leaven really is a process of corruption. And the longer that leaven is left in a lump of bread dough, the more leavening or more corruption takes place. And it takes place over time, slowly and quietly and gradually in the background, this leaven uh, is working until it leavens the whole lump. And leaven also puffs up. Remember, that was a problem in Corinth. They were puffed up. And so leaven is a perfect illustration They were not only uh, allowing incest in the assembly without doing anything about it, they were puffed up about it. And so leavening starts off very small, a little bit of leaven, but it continues and slowly, gradually ferments until the whole is corrupted. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 6. And he, he uses this concerning the particular situation of chapter 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and a hideous kind of fornication. Unrepentant sin is deadly. It is deadly for the individual who is living in the sin. It will ruin that person's Christian life until uh, they get right with the Lord. But here, Paul says that it's also deadly, not only for the individual, but it's also deadly for the whole church when it's tolerated. And so church discipline needs to be incorporated into an assembly because it's not only good for the individual, it's designed to bring him to repentance and to restore him to a good walk with the Lord, but it's also necessary for the whole body of Christ. Church discipline is a matter of removing a corrupting influence in the body. Now, when Paul commanded them to deal with this situation, he did not think that by tolerating this man who was living in an incestuous relationship with his mother, uh, his stepmother, Paul didn't think that everybody was suddenly going to go out and commit incest. But by not dealing with that sin, It has a corrupting effect on the mind and the heart. And it results in not everybody is going to go out and commit incest, but this sense, this mindset of tolerating evil results in the lowering of standards in an assembly. And it affects the moral and spiritual life of the church as a whole. And it opens the door for all kinds of other sins to infiltrate into the body. And it spreads insidiously to other members. And before long, the whole lump is affected by this tolerant mindset towards sin. And so as painful as exercising church discipline is, the consequences of not exercising church discipline are far worse. That's his point here. It starts off little, but it can end up big. And we looked last week in 2 Timothy uh, where Paul uh, rebukes two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus, uh, because of their false teaching. And he said that their false teaching, when tolerated in an assembly, eats away at the spiritual life of that body like gangrene. And therefore, he said, you must shun that kind of speech and get rid of it because it overthrows the faith of some. 
It can have a devastating effect on the faith of others it spreads. And so leaven must not be allowed to fester in the body of Christ, whether it's the leaven of sin or whether it's the leaven of false doctrine. And so notice what Paul tells them, commands them to do in verse 6. The beginning of the verse, basically he says, stop glorying. Your glorying is not good. Your glorying is dangerous. They were glorying over how tolerant they were, how broad-minded they were, that they were able to put up with this uh, sin and look the other way. They were non-judgmental and all the rest. And Paul says, stop glorying over that. It is not loving to tolerate or ignore sin. It is downright foolish. That kind of glorying can be deadly. Just like who in their right mind would glory over the fact that there is a disease that is slowly eating away at your insides. How utterly foolish to glory or or think you're a great one because that's taking place. But that's what the Corinthians were doing. They were proud, they were arrogant, they were heady. They were high-minded. They were glorying about their spiritual condition when in reality, the body in that that, uh, city, the body of Christ was slowly being corrupted and eaten away by the very leaven that they were glorying over their tolerance of. And so Paul says, this is just insanity. This needs to be dealt with. So stop glorying. And then he says, he goes on in verse 7, and he says, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. This is what they needed to do. They needed to have surgery in the body. There was a part in that body that was very sick and it needed to be removed. And we saw in verse 2, he said, uh, he uses the verb, he says, that this one might be taken away from among you. And literally it meant to be taken up and out. And here he uses uh, the word purge, which means literally to cleanse. But again, just like that verb we saw before, it has that prefix ek on it, which means to clean out. You know, sort of like when you're cleaning out your garage, that when you say you're cleaning out your garage, you don't mean, usually you don't mean that you're going in there and washing all the articles in the garage, but rather you're getting rid of the articles uh, that are junk and you don't want in that garage. You need to clean it out. There are some things there that need to be removed. And this is the verb that Paul uses, purge out. And you know, it might sound kind of hard when you think about this. These were real people. This was a family. This was the body of Christ. They had grown to love each other, and suddenly this body, it's come to everybody's attention that this horrible sin has been committed by one of their own family members. And now Paul, under apostolic authority, under God's authority, commands them to remove that person. And it might sound harsh. But purging is the best possible expression of love. It is an expression of love to that sinning brother. Because in the long run, it promotes holiness in that individual. And it's also the best thing you can do for the body. It's an expression of love for the body of Christ. Because it promotes holiness in the body. 
One member's action can corrupt the whole. And that's the point of that Jewish proverb. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so it needed to be purged out. It needed to be cleansed. It needed to be cleaned out. And so church discipline has to be exercised. Because if you leave just a little, it will multiply and spread. You know, if you're going in for uh, an operation and there's, uh, they discover cancer in one of your organs, you don't want them to leave even a little behind. You want them to get it all out. And this is the operation that Paul commands for the church in Corinth. And therefore, it must be removed. If you want unleavened bread, if that's what you want to end up as, then you have to take out the leaven. It's as simple as that. And you can't cover it up either. If your goal is to make unleavened bread, then if you know there's leaven in it, it's going to leaven the whole lump. And you might try to cover that leaven up by adding sugar or chocolate or some other sweets, but it's not going to result in unleavened bread. It's going to result in sugary Leavened bread. There's just one way to to result. There's only one way that you can end up with unleavened bread, and that is to purge out the leaven. And that's what Paul tells them in verse 7. Purge out, therefore, that old leaven. And then he goes on. He says that ye may be a new lump. Now this concept of purging out the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, Paul gets this illustration from the instructions that God gave to Moses on that original Passover. When they were about to be redeemed from bondage in Egypt and to be ultimately brought into the promised land. And it also comes from the nature of leaven itself, what leaven is and what leaven does. In Bible times, when ladies made bread, they didn't go to the supermarket and buy a little packet of yeast the way they leavened their bread was, and by, they made it every day. They made a fresh loaf of bread every day. And if they wanted their bread to be leavened, what they did was they would take some leavened dough and make the new bread, but they would save a piece of that old leaven, that old lump, and they would set it aside for the next day. And they would have leavened bread today, and then tomorrow when they made bread, they'd take that, that old small piece, of dough that had leaven in it and that would be incorporated into the new lump. And on and on it went. So the leaven from the old lump was always incorporated into the new lump. It was the same old leaven passed on and on and on. And so now Paul tells the Corinthians using that as an illustration that that chain needs to be broken. And here he tells them that that sin cannot be passed on. Remember, leaven speaks of evil things. Evil from our old life of sin before we were saved. When we were in bondage in the world, which is pictured by the Jews in slavery and bondage to Egypt. And so that old leaven needed to be purged out, both individually in the life of an individual and also corporately as the body of Christ. And so that that old leaven is purged out, left out, so that you can have a new kind of a lump. This new loaf will not be leavened. It will be unleavened. Now let's go back to Exodus chapter 12 this time. Exodus chapter 12 
in verse 33. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, in a hurry. For they said, we'd be all dead men. And the people took their dough, and notice this, this is the Jews, the Egyptians are trying to get them out of the land, they're tired of the plagues coming upon them. And he says, and the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound on their clothes upon their shoulders. And so here, when the Jews left Egypt, it all happened so quickly. Moses kept saying, no, no, no. And finally, it was time to go. And they said, okay, get out in a hurry. And in fact, we read earlier in this chapter, they were to keep their shoes on and their, and their uh, staff in their hand because at a moment's notice, the moment Moses said march, they were to be marching out of, that, uh, out of bondage in Egypt and into, ultimately into the promised land. But notice here that when they left Egypt, they were to leave the leaven of Egypt behind. They didn't have time to make leavened bread. And so they left all of Egypt's leaven behind. It wasn't going to be incorporated in their new lumps of bread. And they were going to follow God into a brand new place. So they took unleavened bread only with them. So the leaven of Egypt, that leaven that they ate And their old life, when they were in bondage in Egypt, would have no place whatsoever when they entered into that land that flowed with milk and honey. They were to leave Egypt behind. They were now a redeemed people. And they were delivered from the corruption of that past life in Egypt. And therefore, it was illustrated for us symbolically by this leaven, this corrupting influence was all left behind. And so whatever they made in the new land did not come from that old lump. And so Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that they were to purge out that old leaven that they might, that they might be, the Corinthians might be, a new lump. And let's think about that for a moment. Here Paul is telling the Corinthians that the church is like that new lump without any leaven. You know, as we read through the New Testament, we're told over and over again how new and different and unique the body of Christ is. Christ made in himself of twain one new man. The local church is a new man. And it it consists of born-again people who are in Christ and those who are new creatures in Christ. The church is made up of new creatures. Corporately, it is a new man. In our old man, Paul uses a different illustration in Ephesians and Colossians. He said, our old man is crucified, and therefore, because that old man is crucified, we're to put off those dirty garments that belong to the old man. We're to put them off. In 1 Corinthians 5, he uses a different illustration, a different metaphor. Here he says that we're to purge out that old leaven that belonged to our old life and don't incorporate it into the new. Every bit of it is to be purged out because even a little will fester and grow and multiply and create havoc. It can corrupt the whole. 
So leave that old leaven back in Egypt in the world where it belongs. That old leaven of the world, that corrupting influence, has no place in the new life of a born-again Christian. Old things have passed away. All things now are become new. That old lump was leavened. And the new lump, the church, is to be an unleavened loaf of bread. And so the only way you can end up with unleavened bread is to purge out that old leaven so that we might be unleavened, pure, holy, sanctified, clean. And that's what God wants for the individual believer. And that's what God also wants for the church. He doesn't want us to behave like our old life when we were in bondage to sin, illustrated by the Jews in bondage in Egypt. That old influence causes us to be puffed up. It causes us to, cor- to be corrupted. But notice again, back in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, and here's something that Paul is very careful about. In verse 7, he says, Purge out that, therefore that old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. And so here's the reason Paul gives in verse 7, for purging out the old leaven, because you are unleavened. Now, Paul said this because he wanted to make sure that nobody misunderstood what he just said by saying that ye may be a new lump. When he said that ye may be a new lump, he meant uh, practically in the condition of their lives. But that could easily be misunderstood in this context. So Paul clarified. He doesn't want anybody to get the idea that a person becomes sanctified or a person becomes a saint by cleaning up their lives. He doesn't want anybody to get the idea that somehow we earn our position in Christ as a sanctified one positionally by removing the leaven and the evil, uh, the corrupting influences in our lives. That would be contrary to everything Paul taught in all of his other epistles. So just so that nobody misunderstands, nobody uh, misinterprets his uh, illustration here, he says, I want you to purge out that old leaven because you are already unleavened. That's what we are in Christ. We are already united with Christ. And we're already robed in the righteousness of Christ. We've already been positionally sanctified by the precious blood of Christ once and for all and forever. Our union with Christ is forever. That's God's work. It's perfect. It's unchangeable. We are saints if we're born again. But our communion, our day-to-day walk, isn't always perfect. And that's where progressive sanctification comes in. And that's why as believers, yes, we are cleansed. Yes, we are washed. But In addition to that, in our daily lives, there needs to be a daily scouring of our houses, if you will, and removing every trace of leaven in our lives. So Paul explains their position in Christ here. Their position in Christ is, you are unleavened. So there's no place for leaven in that loaf. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Here's another example of where Paul does exactly the same thing. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now 
Are ye light in the Lord? Walk as children of light. Now notice what Paul does here. Same thing that he does in 1 Corinthians 5. He tells the believers in Ephesus that you are light. That's that's their position in Christ. They are light. They are lights of the world, if you will. And therefore, because of what they are in Christ, they're to walk as children of light. They don't walk as children of light in order to become light. They already are light. And that's what Paul tells the Corinthians. They're not to purge out the leaven so that they might become unleavened, but rather they're to purge out the leaven because you already are unleavened. And leaven has no place in unleavened bread. And so the believer, if you're born again, you are unleavened already. The church is a loaf of unleavened bread. Because all of our sin was laid on Christ. And He paid the penalty of it all. And therefore we are cleansed. We are purged. We are robed in the very righteousness of Christ. We are pure positionally. We are saints. In fact, notice in 1 Corinthians 5 that it's the Corinthians that Paul addresses here and says, you are unleavened. Yes, even the Corinthians, with all the sin and corruption in that assembly that needed to be purged out, yes, even they were already leavened because they were born again already unleavened. And we'll see that in chapter 6 as well. So in light of their position, in light of the fact that the church is a loaf of unleavened bread, and in light of the fact that if there's one thing, certainly, that doesn't belong in unleavened bread, it's leaven, therefore, purge it out. And the application is to each of us individually as well. If we see leaven in our own lives, it has no place in us because Christ has purged us with His own blood. And so the command is given in light of who they are. And that's the way of grace. That's always the way of grace. We live in the dispensation of the grace of God. And because we've already been raised up into heavenly places in Christ Jesus, because of who we are and what our position is, therefore we're to seek things above. We don't seek things above so that we might be seated above. We're already seated above. And therefore it's only fitting that we should have our minds and hearts on heaven. That's the way of grace. There's a huge difference. One is legalism. One is grace. We were not justified by works and we're not sanctified by our works. We were justified by grace through faith and we are sanctified by grace through faith. And so God expects us as believers to first of all come to the knowledge of who we are in Christ. That's our position. It's God's work. And God expects us to rest in that position. His work is done. It's finished. It's perfect. And in Christ, we are perfected. In Christ, we have been made sanctified and righteous. And God expects us to rest in that position, to believe. Not trying to achieve that position, but rather to believe that it's already been accomplished and to rest in it. Just as that branch 
rests or abides in the vine, that's where the branch belongs. That's the position of the branch. And that branch is simply to abide there. It's to rest in the position into which God has already placed him. And as that branch abides and rests in his position, the natural outflow is fruit. And so Paul clarifies in verse 7 an important theological point that he didn't want anybody to misinterpret because you would end up with the wrong idea of justification and a wrong idea of sanctification. So no, we don't purge out the old leaven so that we might become unleavened. Rather, we purge out the old, uh, the old leaven because of what we are in Christ. We're already an unleavened loaf. Now let's think of Passover for a minute. That's what was on Paul's mind here. For Israel, the lamb was to be chosen without blemish. It was to be slain. Its blood was to be sprinkled on the doorpost. And then when the blood was sprinkled, they had assurance that they would be delivered from bondage. That was their redemption from Egypt. And that brought them out of bondage and into the freedom of the promised land. And so that was to be commemorated by a feast of Passover, the lamb, and seven days of unleavened bread. But notice back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, at the end of verse 7, Paul says, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So Israel had a Passover feast that they were to keep. But notice Paul says Christ is our Passover. He's our Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the whole world. He was our Lamb without blemish. He was the Lamb whose blood was sprinkled. He is the Lamb who provided redemption for us and deliverance from bondage to sin and deliverance from bondage to the world. He's our Passover. And just as the Israelites were to acknowledge Passover once every year, they were to keep this feast, and then they were to purge out the leaven. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, purge out the leaven. Why? Because Christ is already sacrificed. That was the key to the Jews. As soon as the Passover lamb was slain, they knew that it was time to scour out their homes and remove all the leaven. And now Paul uses that illustration to teach us Christ has already been slain. And therefore, for us, today is a day of scouring out all the leaven in our lives individually and also corporately in the local assembly. That's the reason we're to purge out the leaven. Because our lamb has already been slain. Because he's been sacrificed for us, that means that we're saved. By faith. That means that we're already sanctified. That means that because our sacrificial lamb, our Passover lamb has already been slain, that means that we are already unleavened, set free from the bondage of sin once and for all and forever. And therefore, it's our privilege and our responsibility to remove any trace of leaven that might try to creep in to scour out our hearts and our homes. And here's the highlight in verse 8. Therefore, Paul says, 
Let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven of, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see, the feast of Passover and unleavened bread and the Exodus were all kind of together. Spoke of redemption and deliverance from the old life, bondage in Egypt, into the new life. And so the feast was to be kept. And this feast, once the Passover lamb was slain, this feast was to be kept, but not with the old leaven. No, that connected you with the past life. That connected you with bondage and slavery to Egypt. But rather, the feast was to be kept, but only with unleavened bread. The old life and all of its worldly ways are to be left behind and to be put off like filthy rags. And our new life is completely new. It's different. It's not the old life or the new paint job. It is a completely new life. And that life is Christ in you. And so entering into this new life means that we are to be separate from our past life of sin. And even one tiny little bit of sin, if we allow it in our hearts unjudged and unconfessed and unforsaken, if we allow just a little bit of sin in our hearts, it can have a corrupting influence in our whole lives. And so Paul expands on this concept of leaven here. It included, yes, in the immediate context of chapter 5, the leaven referred to the corrupting influence of tolerating that individual who was living in an incestuous relationship. And that was to be purged out. But no sin should be tolerated in the body of Christ. Sin tolerated in the body or in our lives can have a, a corrupting effect. But notice, he says, purge out the old leaven and then keep the feast. And that's exactly what the Jews did on Passover. When the Passover lamb was slain, the women went through the homes. This was as they celebrated it in following years. They'd go through their homes. They'd purge out. They'd sweep the floors. They'd clean the cabinets. They'd remove every trace of leaven whatsoever. And once all the leaven was gone, the feasting could begin. And it was a seven-day feast of unleavened bread. And Paul makes application here to us. Christ is our Passover. There's no room for leaven in the body of Christ. There's no room for leaven in our lives. And once we take care of that issue, once we purge out that leaven, once we confess our sins and forsake our sins, then the Christian life is spoken of as a continual feast. And Paul says that in verse 8, let us keep the feast, present tense, let us continually be feasting once the leaven has been removed. Now, Paul doesn't mean that we're to keep the Jewish feast of Passover. Rather, he means that we are to keep the Christian feast of Passover. And Christ is our Passover. And here, Paul speaks of the whole Christian life as an ongoing feast. And Christ is our Passover lamb. And Christ, the bread of life, is our unleavened bread. And so, he uses a tense here that implies Continual feasting. That's what our lives ought to be. An ongoing, perpetual, continual feasting on Christ and the things of the Lord from His Word. And it's 
present tense, but it's also present subjunctive, and the subjunctive indicates here potential action. In other words, the Christian life isn't always, under all circumstances, a continual ongoing feast of joy, but it potentially could be. The only thing that will hinder us from feasting on Christ and enjoying the, uh, our walk with God and having the joy of the Lord in our hearts every day, the only thing that will hinder us from that is tolerating leaven in our hearts. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't even hear my prayer. There is no joy of the Lord. That ends the feast. Solomon said, He that has a merry heart has a continual feast. And you know, that's exactly what the Christian life ought to be. We ought not to think of the Christian life as, oh, poor me, I have to get rid of all these things that I really love to do. I have to get rid of all this leaven in my life. You've got the just twisted. The right focus ought to be on Christ. It's a feast on Him. Removing the leaven was only preparatory for the feast. And enjoying the feast can only take place when the leaven is removed. And I love the fact that this is an ongoing feast. You see, in Israel, their lambs were slain every year. Every year that Passover lamb was slain. But we read in the book of Hebrews that we are sanctified by the body of Christ once and for all. And once Christ was sacrificed, he isn't sacrificed ever again. It is for all. It is ongoing. The effects of that one sacrifice never cease for the believer. And so for the believer in Christ, our whole Christian life from now till we go to glory is characterized or ought to be characterized as enjoying the feast of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not with malice or wickedness. That will hinder the feast. But a feast of unleavened bread with sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. That's how to keep the feast. Just be honest and open with God. Sincerity. That's what it means to be pure. Uh, to have the light shine in. Pure conscience. Pure mind. Pure motives. Pure heart. Pure intentions. Be honest and open with the Lord. And if God shines a light on any leaven in our lives, we need to get rid of it so that we can go right back to enjoying Christ our feast. God wants to make sure that none of us are secretly tolerating sin in our lives or in the assembly. It needs to be confessed daily because we sin daily. It needs to be purged daily because we sin daily. And as we're careful in taking care of scouring our lives and removing all the leaven, then we are able to enjoy the Lord. We are able to feast on Christ and His Word, the bread of life that satisfies our heart, that nourishes our soul, that provides the joy of the Lord in everyday life, a joy that no man can take from us. Christ is the center of it all. But we get none of it without the purging. So it's essential that we get rid of anything and everything in our lives that hinder us from experiencing Christ as the bread of life, as our Passover lamb. And when we do that, we can go on rejoicing in the Lord. You see, the Christian life, regardless of external circumstances, 
Outwardly, we may go, be going through a storm. Outwardly, we may be going through dark days. Outwardly, a battle may be raging. But on the inside, the Christian life is a feast. For Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. So Paul challenges the Corinthian believers to deal with this issue and he reminds them of how glorious things can be in that assembly if they do things right. And you know, if you're not born again, here we're told that Christ is the Passover. He was the Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the whole world. And he's provided redemption for you too. If you'll simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll give you life. And you too can experience a Passover feast. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I know the Lord. I'm glad that his word tells us that as Christians we can have joy. As Christians, we can walk with the, uh, with the Lord all the days of our lives and regardless of circumstances, we can feast on our Savior. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Thank God for this ongoing feast that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the, the rich promises that we have in our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, help us to see the importance of purity and cleansing our own hearts by confessing our sin daily. Sometimes, Lord, it may even be moment by moment. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to keep short account with sin, that nothing would interfere with our relationship and this feast that we can have with Christ. And Lord, we pray for any that would be here today and have never accepted Christ in a personal way, that even today might be the day of salvation for them. And we'll thank and praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.